What's up, Crossroads? How we doing? Would you put your hands together to welcome our Lexington campus this morning? Would you put your hands together and welcome them? We're thankful for you in Lexington, and this is an exciting morning as we have our preview service, so welcome, Lexington campus. Those of you listening online, we're glad that you're joining us. A couple big things. Don't forget, next week, an awesome opportunity, if you have not taken the step of obedience to publicly declare your faith, uh, next week is our outdoor baptism, August 18th, 5 p.m. It's going to be a fantastic time of celebration, of worship, of remembrance of what God has done, of watching people who have profess Jesus Christ inwardly, now to publicly declare that before us. And so we're excited about that right here at our Park Avenue campus. We'll hope you'll be here. Bring your lawn chair, bring a few dollars ready for the food trucks, and we're just going to have a great time of celebration. And if you have not taken that step, if you've not taken that step of obedience, stop by the Next Steps area. We want you to sign up. We, we believe that is, a, is an important next step in our faith. Listen to last week's message if you want to know more about baptism. Also, a big thank you to our missions team. This past weekend, they packed together 2,033 backpacks that are going to be infused into our community through kids that desperately need school supplies. And so thank you, missions team. I think of Dar Rudger, who oversees our missions. Thank you, church, for your faithfulness. And there will be 2,033 kids that have valuable school supplies, as well as some information about how they can follow Christ. And so we're excited and thankful for the opportunity we have to make a difference in our community. If you would, take your Bibles out with me this morning and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there is one of the seat back in front of you, both here and at Lexington. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Turn with us to page 965. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, page 965. If you don't have a Bible in your home, you don't have a Bible in your, in your presence, take that with you. We want to make sure you have a copy of God's Word. God has spoken. You can know Him, and that's our gift to you, so take that with you if you need it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You know, one of the things I, I love to kind of study on and look at is, is the, the concept of our senses. Our bodies are pretty amazing things, aren't they? And it's amazing to think about the senses, our, our sense of sight and touch and our sense of hearing, and then our sense of smell. Sense of smell is a, is a pretty interesting one. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are at any moment five to six million cells that allow us to smell. In fact, smelling is one of the things that we do in the womb. It's one of the fullest functioning senses that we have in the womb, even before we're born. We can smell. Now, thankfully, none of us remember the smells, but we can smell. But it's also interesting that studies will show that our smell is connected to our memory. It's connected to remembering things. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you see something, you will remember 50% of what you see a year later. But if you smell something, you will remember 70% of what you smell a year later. And so our smell is actually a greater sense of memory than even our vision. But it goes even further than that. Our smell also is connected to our emotion. Many scientists and doctors have, have concluded that, that what we smell actually indicates at times how we feel. Pleasure, well-being, even purpose is connected to things that we smell. And if you've lived life, you know this is true. Now, this past week... Uh, Alice and I celebrated 22 years of marriage. Thank you, thank you. 
that is more for her than me. She has put up with me for 22 years. Uh, and uh, there have been times I'm sure she wanted to trade me in, but she remains so faithful and she's such a, an awesome wife to have and I, I'm thankful to be able to do life with her. But one of the things I, my wife has is a, is a little perfume. And this perfume is a perfume that she wore on our wedding day. And I can tell you that every time I smell this perfume, I think back to our wedding day. It reminds me of that immediately. By the way, if somebody else wears it and I smell it, I'm like, is my wife around? I think back to our wedding day. And when she puts it on, it's not always, but when she puts it on, it's a special occasion. It's gonna be a good, good day. When she puts that on, I'm like, baby love, come here, baby love. Like there's something about that that brings this emotional connection. Or, or how about, how about, I remember years ago when we lived in the Washington, D.C. area, I had a friend of mine, we went to play golf together, and I was driving a, a red Plymouth Sundance, and it was a small compact car, and I remember we went and played golf together, and I was going to give him a ride home, and so he threw his clubs in the back of the trunk, and, and uh, I, I then went home and, and took the clubs out, and, and uh, the next morning I got up to, to go to work, and I get into the car, and I smell this putrid, horrific smell. And so I begin to check around, what is this? I can't find anything. And so I go throughout the day and then I get back in the vehicle later that day and it is even worse. It is like eye-watering, horrid smell. And here to find out, as I got home, I, I searched everywhere in my car, car and it was his golf shoes that fell into this compartment in my trunk and it was like rotting my car from the inside out. It was horrible. Can I tell you, this is absolutely true, every time I saw a Plymouth Sundance, or for a while, every time I saw a red car, I smelled that smell. It was horrible. I never wanted to be around a red car for a while. It was horrific. We still laugh about that today as a good friend of mine. Our smell is pretty amazing when you think about it. But what I love about the Bible and what I love about God is that God has a way of using our physical bodies as a picture of spiritual realities. If you read the Bible, you see this constantly, that physical things are really pictures of true spiritual things that are happening behind the scenes. And believe it or not, smell is one of them. And we find one of those passages here in 2 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Now, before we dive in, a little background. Of all the churches Paul had relations with, and there are many of them, he planted many churches, Corinthians, the Corinth, the city of Corinth, the church of Corinth, the Corinthian Christians were probably some that he had the closest connection to. The reason for that is because he spent a lot of time there. In fact, he was a tent maker in the city of Corinth, and he did ministry there. Things didn't go so well for Paul while he was in Corinth. You can read this story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18. They actually rejected his teaching. Many of the Jews kind of rose up against him. Many of the Romans began to join them. And there was a lot of things at odds between Paul and the Corinthians. But the church did birth and the church did flourish. But then it had problems very quickly and they began to question Paul. And so if you read 1 Corinthians, you find Paul kind of coming at them and saying, listen, I'm defending myself to you. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm a proclaimer of the gospel. Why are you doing this? And so they seem to be at odds. We then see 2 Corinthians. Now, as we read 2 Corinthians, we see Paul's great concern. But what's interesting is 2 Corinthians is actually not 2 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians is actually not 1 Corinthians. There are actually four letters that we know of. And the reason we see that is because 1 Corinthians actually mentions a previous letter. And then 2 Corinthians mentions an in-between letter called the severe letter. 
where Paul kind of goes off on them. 1 Corinthians is pretty bold, but there's another letter in between there that's even bolder where he comes at them. And so what we're going to read is actually 4 Corinthians, if you're not already confused. 1 Corinthians is 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is actually 4 Corinthians. We don't have the other two letters. And so we pick up this story and we see Paul interacting with a church that he had a lot of influence in and a deep relationship with. Take a look with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 12. It says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, fragrance from death to death. To the other, fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Notice Paul here continues to defend himself. He says, we're not peddling the word of God, we're men of sincerity bringing the gospel to you. And he describes this situation in verse 12, where he's doing ministry in Troas. Now Troas is not Corinth. He went to the city of Corinth, and he founded the church and planted the church, and they kicked him out of there, and then, and then he came to Ephesus and other cities, but then he comes to Troas by God's leading. And it says in verse 12 that the door was open in Troas, meaning the gospel impact was flourishing in the city of Troas. God has got it open a wide door for impact there. But notice it says he didn't have rest in his spirit. There was something going on that caused a stir in his soul. There was something disturbing him. That's the word there. There was no peace in him. And it, he says it's because Titus, his counterpart, his co-laborer, his, his brother in arms, did not rendezvous with him in Troas. So they were supposed to meet there, but Titus never came. Now you might ask, well, why does this matter? Because Titus was actually the letter deliverer of the previous letter. So what happened? Titus took Paul's letter back to Corinth and was supposed to meet Paul back in Troas, but didn't show up. And so Paul, while having an open door to the gospel, now is concerned, he's disturbed by the fact that Titus has not returned. Titus has not returned, and the implication is there's a problem in Corinth. The implication is there's another struggle happening. Now in the midst of this, Paul's writing now this new letter and notice what he says, in the midst of those circumstances, in the midst of the pressure that he feels, in the midst of this stirring in his soul, leaving what was really good ministry for something difficult. Notice what he says in verse 14. He says, but thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Can you imagine this? Paul here takes his mind off of the temporary issues of the open door in Troas and having to leave the open door to deal with a situation, an issue. It's like getting interrupted at dinner with your spouse because there's an issue with your kids at home, with the babysitter. That's what Paul's dealing with. And yet he turns his mind away from the circumstance and puts it on this truth about the reign of Christ into the other world of eternity. 
And he says, but thanks be to God that, that in Christ, he always leads us in triumphal procession. This is point one. We're going to look at three observations. Point one, Christ always leads us triumphantly. Christ always leads us triumphantly. He takes his eyes off of the problem, and he looks at what God is doing eternally. Now, you might look at this and say, okay, I get that. Christ leads triumphantly. But, but to them, there's a context behind what Paul is saying here. This isn't merely just Christ leads us victoriously. This is deeper than that. And Paul actually is painting a pagan picture to make a spiritual point. What do I mean? Well, the Greek word here is a very interesting Greek word. It's, it's the Greek word uh, threom buuo or beuo. And it literally means triumphal procession or a triumphal parade. It's used twice in the New Testament. Paul uses it both times here and in the book of Colossians. And it's the idea of a triumphal parade, the triumphal uh, kind of entry point. Now, what does this mean? In their day, there would be parades that would happen in the Roman Empire quite often. I want you to think about this like the, the Macy's Day Parade in Thanksgiving or the New Year's Day Rose Bowl Parade. That's the image. They would have this triumphal Roman parade. And can I tell you, if you get the picture of this parade, this passage actually comes to life to you. Because let me explain the parade for a moment. In their day, Rome was continuing to conquer the known world. The Caesar at the time was continuing to send armies out to find new land to conquer. And so when the commanders, the generals, would be out conquering the world and they won a battle and they defeated the enemy, they would send back a messenger to Rome, the city of Rome, to the Caesar and the Senate to say, hey, we've got a new victory. So they would send back a runner. By the way, you know what the runner was called in Greek? The runner was called an evangelist. Why? Because he was going to proclaim the good news. And so they would send back a herald, a messenger, an evangelist to come say, good news, Rome has expanded. And so Rome, if the, the battle was worthy, would then call for a parade. And what they would do is they would send the runner back to tell them the army to come home, to tell the commander of that front to come home, and they would throw a parade. And how they would throw the parade is they would get the priest of the pagan gods of Rome, and they would have them burn incense throughout the city. And the reason for that is because the incense told the people that it was time for a parade. Then they would gather the people on a specific day, and they would line up this parade through the streets where people would throw confetti, throw clothing, throw branches, and celebrate victory for Rome. And here's how it looked. They would first begin the parade with trumpets. It was the first marching band in Rome. They would then follow that with the march of the Senate. The Senate of the Roman Empire would then march through the streets and people would celebrate because Rome was expanding. It would then be followed by the priest who would throw incense around the, the street and that incense would rise to the buildings to celebrate all that Rome had done. And then it would be followed by a very, very powerful thing. There would be a gold chariot pulled by four horses. And on that chariot was the commander of the army that won the battle. The commander of the army that won the battle against the enemy that expanded the, the Roman Empire was on the chariot being celebrated victorious. Now, there were three criteria to be on that chariot. There were three things that the Romans required for a commander to be and have such an honor. First of all, he had to, de had to defeat an enemy on foreign soil. Second of all, he had to kill 5,000 enemies in battle. And then thirdly, 
he had to expand the Roman border. So it couldn't be within the Roman border. It had to expand the Roman border. If that happened, he would then be given this parade and they would celebrate him on this gold chariot pulled by four horses. Now, through the years, if you know history, this happens quite often, right? Pompey, remember Pompey historically? Pompey, remember, he was on the gold chariot, but he wasn't pulled by four horses. He was pulled by four elephants. Do you remember the story of Mark Anthony? Mark, Mark Anthony actually decided to one-up Pompey, and he pulled the chariot not by four horses or four elephants, but by four lions. They started to do what every man does, one-up each other. I'll go, okay, you'll take your elephants, I'm going to do giraffes. I'm going to do coyotes, and now I'm going to do lions. So they kept increasing the factor of this. Now, what's interesting is after the commander would come through, there would be a chain attached to, the, to this chariot, this gold chariot. And that chain would then be tied on the hands of the leading officer of the enemy army, followed by a chain that connected them all, all the enemy that lost, that were still alive. And they would parade them through the streets and they would lead them to the Colosseum where they would put them to death. Following those enemies would be then the victor, the victor army, the, the army that conquered. And they would follow in celebration. So the fans would boo the enemy and then they would cheer the conquering army. This was the word that Paul used. And every Roman, every Greek, they would have hear, heard this and they would have said, wait a minute, I get that. You're using a pagan point to make a spiritual point. So get the picture here. Paul says, thanks be to God who in Christ leads us in triumphal procession. What is he saying? He's saying Christ is the one that is on the chariot leading us in the parade. Christ is the conquering commander. So Paul here, defending his ministry, says, listen, I was having good ministry here, but I had to take a break because I needed to come back and deal with this issue. But God's leading in a triumphal procession. God is leading as a conquering commander. This is true even today in us. Jesus said this, by the way, in Matthew chapter 16. He said that he would reign through his church. In Matthew 16, remember the question he asked his disciples? He, he says this, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, on his testament of faith, I will build my church. And notice, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He says, nothing will be able to conquer the work of the church. Christ leads victoriously a universal conqueror marching in triumph down the corridors of history seen in our day through the body of Christ living out this victory. The church is a picture of the victory parade of Jesus Christ. Death cannot defeat it. Hell cannot prevail against it. By the way, isn't this true? The only organization in the world that will last into eternity is the church. It's not our workplace. It's not the government. It's not even our marriages. Our marriages will have an ending point. It will be for eternity. The one organization that lasts into eternity is the church, the body of Christ. Now you might say, Dave, you've got to say that. You're the pastor. That's what Jesus said. Nothing else in this world does he say the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But he does about the church, the only organization that will last into eternity. Now think about this. The church is made up of you and I. 
What makes the church the church is a gathering of believers. This means that that victory extends to us. You and I are a part of that victory. I love one of my favorite passages is Romans 8. Romans 8 describes this well. Romans 8 says this, and here's a few verses from there. It says, what shall we say to these things? God is for us. Who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Doesn't, notice he doesn't say, will they try? Certainly, they're going to try to conquer us. They're going to try to separate us from God. These things are active in our lives. But he says, no. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, you are conquerors. You're conquerors, not because of what you've done, but because Christ loves us. Notice, the commander is Christ. The love comes from Christ. It's not by our benefits. It's not by our actions. It's not by our efforts. It's because of the love of Christ that we can say we are more than conquerors. By the way, I love this word, more than conquerors, because in Greek, it's the word hyponikeo. Now, you might say, what does that mean? I want you to notice a word in there you know very well. Hyper, hupo, nikeo. What does nikeo sound like? Nike. It's the word Nike. Hyper, Nike. Nike is the word for victory. It's the word for, for triumphal victory. It's a word for celebration. It's the word that victory has been gained in a surpassing way. That's why when you wear the swoosh, it has a new meaning. It doesn't just mean victory in sport. It means victory with Christ. This hooper nikeo. We are conquerors in Christ. We are more than conquerors in Christ because Christ loves us and nothing can separate us from that love. He is the commander in the chariot and we are being led by him in victory as we follow him. Now, let's be honest. Many Christians don't live in this victory. And can I tell you a reality? I know there are books that are written and they say how to have a victorious Christian life. Can I be honest? That's redundant. If you're a Christian, there only is a victorious life. Like there's no separation from being a Christian and then being victorious. There's not extra things you gotta do to be victorious. You gotta live in the victory that Christ has already given you. Right, so it's not all of a sudden we can attain victory. We have the victory. Becoming a Christian is an admittance that we have lost, that God wins, that Christ is the commander, and we have victory in him. So it's redundant to say live a victorious Christian life. You don't live life any other way as a Christian but victorious. But for many, we live defeated. And the reason for that is because we try to take the reins of the chariot and steer our own lives. And can I tell you, when we do that, we always lose. We don't win. Whenever I take the reins of the chariot of my life, when I take control, I lose it every time. I never keep gaining victory. I never keep going in the parade. I go off course. Now, I read this and I'm, I'm reminded uh, of of this game that we have. My, my, one of my sons has uh, virtual reality goggles and things, and he's all into that co cool stuff. And there's a game on there called kind of Walk the Plank. It's, it's called a plank game. And what it is is, is you, you put the goggles on, you put the headset in, and there's an elevator that takes you up about 150 to 200 stories in the air. And the elevator door opens, and there's a plank. And you're supposed to walk out on the plank. And as you walk out, you can hear the sounds of the city. There's a cityscape in front of you. 
you feel as if you're up 150 to 200 stories in the air. It, it, I mean, it is amazing how real it feels. And so you get on the plank, and as you walk on this plank, the idea is you can walk to the edge and you can jump off, and you'll fall 150 to 200 stories, and it's fun for kids. <laughs> Whenever we have people over, we always get them hooked up with it because we laugh at their attempt to walk the plank because everybody thinks, oh, this is easy. I'm on the basement floor. I can run off this thing. But when you get out there with a virtual reality on, you walk on that plank, it feels, your heart begins to race, your palms begin to sweat, there's anxiety that begins to overflow you. By the way, I have a really cool video of Ernesto, our worship arts pastor, doing this. It's hilarious. I almost brought it, but I didn't want to embarrass him this badly because we, we had him put it on. It's funny, especially creative people, right? They, they get it, but, but there's a fear there. And so he walks on the plank, and literally he's like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't. And he keeps walking back in the elevator. Now, what he doesn't know and what he doesn't realize is the ground is the same in the elevator as it is outside. It's not real. It's virtual reality. But he goes out, and eventually, we say, go to the edge, go to the edge, and then he sits down on the plank. He's like, I can't move, I can't, it freezes you. All the while, you take a step, the step is the same. Can I tell you, this is how many of us live our Christian lives. Like, we're on strong footing. We're in a firm foundation in Christ who has already won the victory by his cross and by his resurrection. Hell has been defeated. Death has been wrapped up. We don't have to fear any of those things any longer in Christ. His love never ends. It can never be undone. And yet we live life hesitantly. We live life as if we're in control of the destiny. And if that's the case, then we lose. But in Christ, we are more than conquerors. And Paul here says, listen, circumstances may be going different ways, but thanks be to God that in Christ, he leads us in triumphal procession. Now notice what he says next. Not only does he lead us in triumphal procession, it says, and through us, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. This is point two in our notes. Point two is this. We are the fragrance of Christ everywhere. We are the fragrance of Christ everywhere. He, he says, not only does he lead us in a triumphal procession, but we are not the enemy attached to the back of the chariot. We are the incense being burned for the Lord. We are the incense as a picture of victory to a world that desperately needs it. We become the knowledge of Christ everywhere we go. Paul is proclaiming that he was the knowledge of Christ. He went and proclaimed the gospel to people. You and I now, by default, are the messengers of Christ. Yes, we have a written Bible, but many people will not open this. That means the, the knowledge of Christ that they get first will not come from opening this book. What will, come be, will come by the life we live. How do people know love? Because we love. How do people know what grace is? Because we show grace. How do people know what mercy is? How do people know what a healthy marriage looks like? How do people know what kids, raising kids looks like? How do people know what faithfulness to church looks like? We show them that. We infuse the fragrance of the triumphal reign of Christ in life. We become the fragrance of Christ everywhere. We build knowledge by demonstrating life in the conquering commander. By the way, isn't it true that we smell like whatever we're near? Uh, you ever had those moments where you hug somebody and they've got strong perfume on and the rest of the day you smell like their perfume? Or, or maybe, guys, you're out grilling a steak and, man, it, that steak starts to just, just simmer really well and the smoke starts to come up and your shirt smells like a steak for the rest of the day and at the end of the day you're sitting there going, yes, yes, that steak is so good. 
You tell your spouse, hey, honey, we're not washing this shirt until this smell comes out. You grab a celery stick and you go, and you eat the celery. I got steak celery. Like everything smells like steak. Now, you know what I'm talking about, hey, right? What, what, you're, what you're near is how you smell. So, so if I'm the fragrance of Christ, I got to bask in the victory of Christ. I got to bask in the word of God. I got to bask in prayer. I got to live life understanding who I am in Christ. Why? Because as I am in Christ, I now diffuse that fragrance to people everywhere. I diffuse that fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. So when they see me, they don't see Dave. They understand Christ more. That's the image of what Paul's saying. Paul says we are the knowledge of Christ as we diffuse his fragrance everywhere. We give a picture of what being a Christ follower looks like. He goes on. This takes one step further, verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, there's a fragrance from death to lead to death. To the other, a fragrance from life that leads to life. Notice this, this is point three. This fragrance actually affects people differently. The aroma of Christ actually affects people differently. By the way, very interesting, just technical thing. Paul, notice he uses the word that we are the fragrance of Christ, and now he says, for we are the aroma of Christ. He changes the word here. And the reason he changes the word is because one is a picture of a conquering commander that we diffuse, and the other one is a picture of a sacrificial servant. We actually are a sacrifice, a sweet aroma to God, to the fragrance of Christ to the world. God is pleased as we live that fragrance out in our lives. And he says, there's different reactions. For some, that incense in the parade would float back to the people beyond the chariot, and there would be enemies that they would smell the fragrance and they would be frustrated. They would smell the fragrance, the aroma of the incense of the priests, and they would be ready to fight. Some of them maybe even tried to break off the chains as they were being led to death. Maybe for them it was a reminder, a sobering reminder that they lost the battle. They would smell the incense, and for them it was a reminder of death, of defeat. And then there was an army behind them. They would smell the incense, and it would be a reminder of victory, a reminder of celebration, a reminder of God, uh, in their world, the God's faithfulness. But for us, God's faithfulness, this is the point, is as we diffuse the fragrance of Christ in obedience people are going to react differently. Some, they'll be reminded of life. Some, it's going to be like a smelling salt that awakens them, and they're going to be like, I want to know what you have. I want to know the Jesus that's in you. I want to know what this is all about. I see grace, mercy, and truth in you, and I want to know it. For others, it actually leads them to death. It actually leads them and reminds them that they're living in a world of death and dying things, that the rot, the stench of the world has overcome them. It's an interesting idea, isn't it? The idea that we live the fragrance of Christ and people react differently. Now, now you may be here and you might say, well, Dave, one of the problems I have with the fragrance of Christ among most Christians is that most Christians are hypocrites. You might be here and you might say that. You might say, most Christians are hypocrites. And you know what, can I tell you, you're absolutely right. We're hypocrites. But we're hypocrites and know we're hypocrites and admit we're hypocrites. Like people that say, well, I don't like the church because there's a bunch of hypocrites there. Well, welcome, we're all hypocrites. We're hypocrites, yes, it's true. We're hypocrites and admit it, and that's why we attach ourselves to one who is not a hypocrite, the commanding uh, king who sits in the chariot, who leads the procession. We attach ourselves to one who is not a hypocrite because we know we're hypocrites in need of him. 
And so people that say, well, Christians are just hypocrites. Absolutely, we're hypocrites. That's why we need Christ. And then we struggle at times with this fragrance. We don't smell the way we ought to smell all the time. We don't reflect the way we ought to reflect all the time. But we're omitting that. Being a Christian is admitting that we're hypocrites. Can I tell you, if you believe that, can I be honest with you for a moment? You're a hypocrite too. Every one of us is hypocrites. I mean, let me give you a real-life example in our own community. We have people that will not eat a specific food truck, a specific restaurant, because the owner of that company took a stand on marriage and said they just believe marriage is between a man and a woman. That's their perspective. And, and yet they have to obey the laws of the land. They have to obey the laws of employment. They're not going against them. And at the same time, those same people that would say, hypocrite, we're not going to eat there, will go to a store to buy clothes that are made in a country that outlaws the way they want to live. That's hypocrisy. Or I won't eat that restaurant because the owner takes a stand that I don't like. But I'll go buy coffee from a coffee shop that gets her coffee beans from countries that outlaw the thing that they're trying to fight. That's hypocrisy. So, so if you're here and you say, Christians, you're hypocrites, welcome to the club. We all are. We're all hypocrites. None of us follow our beliefs fully. All of us struggle with the way we live these things out. None of us live them fully and rightly. As Christians... Our calling is not to, to, to transform people. Our calling, is not, our calling is just to reflect the fragrance of Christ. By the way, the, the, the scripture warns us of this. Can I say it? 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It says that the cross is foolishness to those who are dying. They don't get it. The cross doesn't make sense to them. John 15, Jesus himself said this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world is going to hate you as well. Jesus warned, and he said, the world's going to hate us. They're not going to love us. So what happens? Our job is merely to be the fragrance of Christ. That means that we have to abound in love, grace, and mercy, but not waver in uncompromising truth. Because if I am all about truth and not grace, love, and mercy, then I have a grace, love, and mercy deficiency, and I will become a legalistic. If I abound in grace, love, and mercy, I love everybody, I, everybody love, 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 grace, mercy, mercy, but don't have any truth, I will eventually compromise, and I'll become nothing. I'll have no stance on anything. I will not stand for any truth, and eventually, I will just fade. The image is I have to balance these things. I balance these things, and for some, it will lead them to life, and for others, it will lead them to death. My job is only to reflect the aroma of Christ. By the way, that is why our mission statement at Crossroads is very clear about this. We actually say this. Our mission statement is leading people to the truth that transforms lives in North Central Ohio and around the world. I want you to notice, we don't transform people. We lead people to the truth. We are the aroma of Christ. We lead people to the truth. God is the one that transforms them. We're not responsible for the faith and the eternity of everybody else. Our job is merely to reflect the truth, to live the truth, to lead them to the truth, to give them a picture of the truth, and let Christ transform them. And notice, we believe we do that regionally. We're not just a Mansfield church. We're, we're a Shelby church. We're a Lexington church. We're a regional church. We're online church. We've got all these things happening. And by the way, this is why we exist. Like, so, so this means, why, why do we put a campus in Shelby? We didn't put a campus in Shelby so our people from Shelby could just have a smaller church to be a part of and do nothing. We did it to infuse the fragrance of Christ, the aroma of Christ in that city. 
Why do we have a campus right now in Lexington? Why, why are we doing that? It's not so you can have a place that's all about your own and all about you. No, we put you there. We, we did that because we want to be a place that fills this region with the aroma of Christ so that lives can be transformed by the power of God. Let me tell you why we do those things. We do those things so that we can populate heaven and we can pillage hell. That's why we do those things as a church. Our job as a church is to pillage hell and to populate heaven, to bring people and rescue them out of the death they're being led to and lead them into the life that Christ wants to give them as a conquering commander. That's our calling. That's who we are. That's who we want to be as a church. Now, as we end, I, I want to end this passage by giving kind of three simple statements that help reinforce this truth. It help kind of give a picture of what we just said. Number one is this. We, we can get so focused on our own circumstances that we neglect the mission of God. Paul here could have said, I'm not coming back to Corinth. I'm not going back to meet Titus. Forget that. I'm staying where the door is open. And we can get so caught up in our own circumstances, our own lives, that we miss that our purpose here is merely to be the aroma of Christ who is the victor. You and I are not riding in the chariot. You and I are not getting the glory. It is going to be Christ that gets all glory because he is the unhypocritical one. He is the one worthy. And so as I attach my life to him, I want to be about the mission of God. That's why I exist. Now, if I can just, I, I've been a lead pastor for over 15 years and I've learned quite a few things. I've been a young adult pastor. And can I tell you something I've learned? Especially in large churches. There's a bit of disdain for large churches. I always say people don't come here because it's convenient. You gotta walk in a parking lot. You gotta get through a crowd of people. You gotta, right, there's, there's inconvenience. But can I tell you, most of us would say and agree, we need to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most of us would raise our hand and go, amen, we need to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Until we start reach, reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then the questions become, well, how much is too much? How big is too big? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe this is becoming an uncomfortable one, and now I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not comfortable with all these people around. I'm not comfortable with, right, we begin to talk this language. And can I tell you, it's the unique thing that we do in the church world. Because you don't do that at the hospital, do you? You don't ride by the hospital and say, man, how many more rooms do they need? I mean, they got to stop the sick people. No more, no more. You don't drive to the horseshoe and say, no more, no more stands, no more fans, no more Buckeye fans, right? Break the stadium down. We don't need more. We need less. We don't do that with anything else. And yet for many in the church world, we look at the church and say, well, if the church is growing or the church is expanding or the church is trying new things, well, wait a minute, how dare they do that? But yet we all say, amen, let's reach people. All of a sudden, we're so focused on our own circumstances that we neglect the mission of God to leverage everything we are and everything we have for the purpose of God's call and the aroma of Christ, the triumphal commander. Secondly, we have been called not to assimilate, but to permeate. Notice Paul doesn't say, we lead everybody to life. Our job is not to assimilate with the culture. Now here at Crossroads, we do everything we can to speak the language of the culture, to try to attempt to, to, to be a bridge between the culture and the church, to try to build a bridge to say, if you're in our culture, we want to talk with you, we want to get to know you, we want to know how you, how you speak, and we want to communicate in a way that you understand. But in that, our job is not to assimilate. We're not assimilating the culture. We're different than the culture. We reflect differently. We live with a different purpose. We have a commander that's leading us in a, a triumphal parade, and we're basking in that as the aroma of Christ. 
Our job is not assimilation. Our, our, our culture, our city, our communities doesn't need assimilation. It needs permeation. We are the fragrance of Christ permeating what it looks like to live life fully. What it looks like to live life in joy and peace and patience and kindness and long-suffering. Right? To live life the way it was meant to be lived in Christ with grace, mercy, and love and unwavering truth. This is the calling. We, we don't assimilate, we permeate. And then lastly, the fragrance of Christ is diffused through our words, our actions, and our reactions. Can I ask you, what are your words like? When you're in the workplace, how is the aroma of Christ coming out through your words? In your home, how is the, how is the aroma of Christ coming out in your reactions? Can I ask you, how is the aroma of Christ coming out in our kids' sports teams? How is the aroma of Christ coming out in that, in that, that, uh, that's, that family member that we just can't deal with? How is the aroma of Christ being spread? It's spread through our words, through our actions, through our reactions. Yeah, I found in my own world, I have to constantly remind myself of these things. We, we've made as a family some core values that we say to each other. Um, and we, we don't have them listed or anything, but we say them quite often. And one of them that we say to our boys and we say to ourselves quite often is we say, guys, our job, family, our job is to lead people closer to Christ than we found them. That's one of our statements we say to each other, lead people closer to Christ than we found them. That's not always easy. Some, they're gonna lead, be led to death by the aroma, but our job is to leave them with a little more understanding of what it looks like to be a Christian, with a little more understanding of what it looks like to follow Christ. That's our job. Now, I, I, I don't know about you, I read this, I hear this, and I say, wow, how can I do this? Like, I, I got enough trouble just getting through the day. How am I really going to be the fragrance of the aroma of Christ? I want to show you what Paul says. Paul gets it. Verse 16, to the one fragrance from death to lead to death, to the other fragrance of life leading to life. Who is sufficient for these things? We're not like many peddlers of the God's word. We're people of sincerity, commissioned by God in the sight of God. We speak in Christ. He says, who is sufficient for these things? How can we do this? How can we be the aroma of grace, love, and mercy? How can we be the aroma of uncompromising truth? Paul says, who is sufficient? And he says, our job is to live in sincerity of this. It's only Christ that can do that through us. Christ is the conquering commander. And as we connect our lives to him, as we, as we reflect him, what happens? We who can't do it, now all of a sudden we can because we attach ourselves to the conquering commander who leads us in triumphal procession. We're being led in victory. The victory prayed. We, we release the burden of trying to solve everybody's life. And we say, God, our job is to lead them to the truth that transforms lives. To lead people closer to Christ than we found them. Through our words, through our actions, through our reactions. To say, we love you, but we're not compromising truth. You're welcome, but you're not, we're not compromising truth. We stand firm on the truth, and yet we love well. We give this glimpse of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, how do you smell? How do you smell? Granted, it's corny. But how do you smell? Are you diffusing this region, your neighborhood, your city, our city, our workplaces, our families, with the aroma of Christ? 
maybe you're here this morning and, and you're being led to death. You don't know Christ yet and, and you're on a walk. You're, you're tied to the chariot and it's leading to judgment and death. The Bible warns us of this, right? We all will stand before God and, and you're being led to death. The Colosseum of the ruin of this world, the rot and decay that we find, the, the smell is putrid and maybe you close your nose to it, but it's all around you. The day would be the day where Christ takes the scales of your eyes, Christ unplugs your nose and shows you your own sin and says, now come into a triumphal procession. Let the incense mean something different to you. Today could be the day that you take that step of faith to say, God, I, I, you, have, you have awakened my eyes, you've unwrapped my heart, I give my life to you. His love that never fails. We have some people at Next Steps that would love to talk with you. At every campus, there's people there ready. Maybe you're here and you know Christ, how are we reflecting the fragrance of the aroma of Christ throughout this region? How are we reflecting the conquering commander? Would you stand with me at every campus as we close in prayer, and then we're gonna end with this song, Simple Pursuits, Simple Pursuits, going back to what is simple, to reflect Christ, to live for Christ, to be the fragrance of the aroma of Christ throughout this place. Would you bow with me? God, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, I need this reminder. So often I begin to once again live in the, in the putrid smell of the world. I, Lord, I go back to the same things that would stink up my life and drive me away from you, not towards you. But you, a Christ who is a conquering commander who went to a cross that is foolishness to us and then died not only on the cross but walked out of a grave three days later to demonstrate that the victory that you won over hell and over sin and over death is, is not a victory that, that just is temporary. It's a victory that's eternal. That today we can know that we're walking in a triumphal procession. That you are a victor. And because of it, we can be more than conquerors in you. And so God, we pray that you would you would connect us to that truth. And then through us and from us, God, you would, you would stir a fragrance throughout this region, throughout this community. God, that we wouldn't fight about opinions on social media. God, that we wouldn't respond with reactions of frustration. But God, we would just live your aroma. We would just live in the victory you have in you. And that God, people would be stirred. That we would be a smelling salt that would bring people back and bring them to life that, God, they would see all that you've done and they would follow you in victory. God, for those that are being led to death, we pray you awaken them. Show them there's a different way that, that, Lord, you hold the key to unlock the chains. God, help us to infuse your fragrance everywhere. May we be your knowledge. May we be your picture. We love you. Thank you for your, your great victory. Thank you for your wonderful name, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Simple pursuits. Help us to lead simple pursuits in you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's sing this song together.